morning. The only problem with singing songs like that is that I don't have any voice left. I feel like I've lost my voice after just those few songs. They were so good. They were so good. Thank you, uh, worship team, for bringing that with us for us this morning. Okay, happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Day to our church family, all who are here and all who are abroad on live stream. Welcome. If you're visiting with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And uh, we have some handouts. If you're new and maybe if you're not so new, this is kind of a new thing for us. We have handouts uh, you can kind of follow along with. There's even, uh, I'll be bouncing around in some of, the, some of the scripture, different scriptures today. So I have those scriptures actually on the back of the handouts. You can follow along there. If you're not uh, feeling excited about any sword drills today, you can just turn the page over and read along, okay? So if you will, just go ahead and open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. We will be spending this Easter Sunday continuing our trek through the Gospel of Luke. And we'll be uh, focusing our attention today on, really on, we'll be reading verses 1 through 15, but we'll be focusing our attention really on verses 4 through 10. 4 through 10 today. Uh, and then we'll be kind of doing a two to three part sermon over the next few weeks uh, kind of one theme, one sermon over the next few weeks as we kind of go through verses 1 through uh, 15 and then into 21, and then we'll be on to some newer thoughts. But there's, there's a lot of stuff here, and really the, we'll spend a lot of time today discussing the connection between the heart and the ears. There's a, there's a connection between the heart and the ears, and so we'll be spending a lot of time discussing the heart today. We'll be, as we do almost every Sunday. And so you'll probably notice that today's text is not necessarily an Easter text. It's not necessarily kind of a resurrection-focused text. And yet in God's divine providence, he has brought us to this text on this day. He's also uh, brought you here to this building to hear this text, this message on this day. So I hope I hope the fact that this isn't like a, a resurrection-type text, that it's not a distraction for you. You know, we come to Easter, Easter Sunday, we're thinking, all right, resurrection text, resurrection text. This is not that, but it is, it is a gospel-centered text. It is a gospel-centered text, and of course, they all are. And in fact, one of the things I say, and Brian alluded to this earlier, one thing I always say is that every Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. Every Sunday for the believer is Resurrection Sunday. And I don't, I don't say that to rob Easter of all that it comes with. It's my, one of my favorite days of the year. I don't want to rob Easter of its meaning and the celebration that we love so much. But my aim in saying that is to bring that celebration, to bring that heart and that love of the resurrection into each and every Sunday morning. Every time we come into this building to worship corporately, we should be remembering the resurrection all the time. As we go to God's word, as we go to him in prayer, this is the foundation of our hope. I'm so glad Brian said that earlier because we can't repeat that enough. We can't repeat that enough. And so I say this too because the resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is absolutely foundational to the good news that we celebrate and that we preach every Sunday morning. In fact, last Easter I went through 1 Corinthians 15 
And the point was made is that the gospel of Jesus' death, which is beautiful and glorious, we talked about his blood, we sang about his blood, that washed away our sins, it's absolutely meaningless without the resurrection. His death, pointless, meaningless, without the resurrection. And the Bible says that we are of all people most to be pitied if Jesus did not raise from the dead. Why? Because then we have no hope. Zero hope if Christ is not raised, but he is. He is raised, and so we do have hope. And this, this is our hope. This is our hope, is that Jesus, Son of God, came down in the flesh to be the Lamb of God, a sacrificial lamb, and he lived a full life, and he lived it without sin, no sin, and yet he went to the cross to die because of your sin and my sin. He went to the cross, and when he did that, he did that to pay the price of death that was due to you, it was due to me. We earned it, but it was paid by his blood. It was paid by his blood. And this, this is an unfathomable act of love. This is an unfathomable act of love. And when he did it, he absorbed all of God's wrath for us. God's wrath was meant and aimed at us. And he took all of our sin, he took all of our shame, and he brought it down into the grave and then three days later, he left that grave, rising again, leaving the sin and shame behind him so that all who would believe in him would be raised up with him to newness of life. It's a glorious gospel. This is our hope that we too can live. The only one who could ever conquer death did it. He's the only one who can promise death conquered for anyone who would believe in him. He's the only one who can do that. And so this is the best news in all the world, news that we, have, as ones who have been forgiven much, we talked about that last week, the woman who was forgiven much, we must love much. We must love much. As ones who have been granted or gifted this thing called repentance and faith, it's been given to us, it's a precious gift of salvation and forgiveness, and we must tell everyone this is how we love much. We must tell everyone Namely, that if you put your trust in Christ, you too can be forgiven. You too can be forgiven. You too can have God as your father. You too can be given a new life of obedience and joyful service to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And this, this message, this hopeful message, this was the message, this was the message of Christ throughout all his earthly ministry. He was going around all over the place proclaiming, repent. Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Trust in me. Repent. Believe in me. Die to self. Be raised up with me. But not all would hear it. Not all would understand. In fact, many would come to him. Many would come to him and many would actually, they would hear it with their ears, but few would grasp it. Few would understand this message of hope and forgiveness and sins covered that Jesus was proclaiming. They would not hear it, which is pretty much the main theme of what we'll be discussing over the next few weeks. 
as we look at the parable of the soils. You'll see that as Jesus explains this parable, that he's demonstrating to his disciples what the condition of the human heart is. He's explaining to them what the condition of the human heart is and what it is that makes the heart deaf to the word of God. Jesus is revealing in this parable what it is that makes the ears of the heart deaf to the gospel. This good news of salvation and forgiveness. What makes our ears deaf to it? Why do people reject it? Such good news. Who would reject forgiveness from sin? And life with God forever. Who would turn away from that? And Jesus explains it. And so it's my endeavor that we as a body would have a clear understanding of what it is that separates the hearts that hear from the hearts that don't hear. So if you would, just pray with me. Pray with me as we go to God's word this morning. Pray for clarity of thought, speech. Pray for ears, not just yours, but others. Pray for others, the ears would hear and understand God's word this morning. Join me. Father, it's a glorious thing to come before you and to preach your word and to hear your word, to have your word and your truth sung over us. It's a glorious thing. Give us eyes, O God. Give us ears, O God, to see and hear your word. Let it take root, O God, in our hearts. Soften hearts this morning. Incline, O God, our minds to your word. Let not the distractions of all the festivities that we have going on today distract us from the truth you want us to hear. Dial in our minds. Dial in our attention and our ears to your word. Only you can change hearts, O oh God. Only you can make your truth shine bright and be glorious. Only you, O oh God, can make your glory be revealed to our darkened eyes. So open our eyes. Help us to see how marvelous and wonderful you are. Amen. So let's begin. Again, open your Bibles if you haven't already to Luke chapter 8. We're going to begin, we're going to read the first 15 verses, and like I said, we're going to then zero in on really verses uh, 4 through 10 this morning, okay? <clears throat> Verse 1, soon afterwards he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God, and the twelve were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, who was called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod, Steward, and Susanna, and many others. Many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. When a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. 
Other seeds fell on rocky soil. And as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into good soil, and it grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you, to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, parables. So that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now Jesus begins to explain the parable. He says, now the parable is this. The seed, the seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have, have heard it. They've heard it, and the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart. We see that this is a heart issue. This is a, this is a heart thing. So they will not believe and be saved. So we see this is a heart thing, and we see that salvation, which is the goal of the message being preached, comes through belief. So the devil robs the word so that they won't believe and won't be saved. Verse 13, those on the rocky soil are those when they hear, they receive the word with joy, emotions. There's some emotions involved here. And these have no firm root, and they believe for a while, and in time of temptation fall away. So there's a, there's a kind of belief that doesn't last, it seems. 14. The seed which fell among the thorns, they are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they are choked out with worries, riches, and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and they hold it fast, and they bear fruit, and they persevere. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word this morning. And so for the sake of context, we're going to pick up in verses 1 through 3. I want to build some context before we really get into verses 4 through 10. And so we pick up in verse 1 through 3, and what we're seeing here is kind of a brief picture of Jesus' ministry. Luke is painting a picture of what Jesus' ministry is like, and it, it appears that Jesus is traveling. He's doing some serious traveling. It says he's going from city and city and town to town, and what he's doing is he's proclaiming, it says he's proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. Now, we will discuss this idea of the kingdom of God in a lot more detail in the weeks to come and in the chapters to come. It's a long book, and he brings up the kingdom a lot. So we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. Uh, but for today, Jesus is basically preaching the gospel. In, in fact, the ESV says he's preaching and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. And that's, I think that's a good translation. He's, pre, he's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, which in this case is the good news. Jesus is saying, I've got some good news there is a reigning king, and he's here. So the kingdom is about the reign of the one true king, and he's here. 
and he's proclaiming that the only entrance into this kingdom is to have your sins forgiven. To have your sins forgiven through the believing and the receiving of this king. As such, as your king. Not a king, but the king, your king. And so Jesus is preaching, and he's, he's proclaiming this message, and he's going all over the place. And he has his apostles, he says. He has some disciples with him. Uh, and it says he has some women with him. This was kind of a scandalous thing. This was a scandalous thing to have women. Now, most rabbis were happy to take the money from just about anybody. Any person, race, creed. They'll take your contributions. But if you want to be in my inner circle... Only few people can get in that inner circle. It ain't women. Jesus is breaking the mold here. All welcome. All who want their sins forgiven can come to me and have that. And so we see that Jesus is breaking the mold and he's, he's traveling with them. What we would consider kind of an inner circle of believers. An inner circle of people who have truly received him as king. And we don't know exactly how many, but it's more than just 12. It's more than just 12 people. Uh, in a few chapters uh, from here, we'll see that he sends 70 out. He sends 70 out. So it could be as, as few as 70, maybe 100 of select inner people that he has uh, as true believers, that have truly received him as king. And so we're looking now at verse 4, and we can see that word is getting out. Words getting out. He says, when a large crowd was coming together and those from various cities were journeying to him, says he spoke by way of a parable. So I want you to picture this for a moment. This, this picture, this, it says there's a large crowd coming together and they're coming from various cities and places and towns. And I want you to picture this. I think it's like a, like a massive outdoor concert. There's this massive outdoor concert, just a sea of people coming to see and hear this man, this teacher, maybe a prophet. He's a healer for sure. He's doing miraculous things. And many are coming to him. And from the looks of it, it would actually appear like a massive revival has taken place. Like people are coming to Christ. It looks like something to rejoice over. But... Jesus addresses the crowd and begins to speak a parable. A parable. And in doing so, what we find later in verse 10, we find that he is using this parable for a very specific purpose. He's using it to conceal the truth from some and at the same time reveal it to his inner circle of people at the same time. Conceal it from some and reveal it to others. And I think it's important that we understand what a parable is. Okay, a parable is like an elongated analogy in story form. And really what it does is it puts a, a spiritual truth up next to a physical reality that we would understand pretty well. Right, it takes that, and it takes that so that we might take what we understand really well and put it by what we don't understand really well and then understand this really well. The, that's the idea. It's a good teaching method. The problem is, is that sometimes this uh, physical thing can be understandable but obscure in its meaning without an explanation 
It requires an explanation most of the time because if just left to think about this, usually it just ends up being something I can interpret on my own and that, that's not good, right? And so what it's designed to do is help us understand a, a particular spiritual truth. Not many typically, but usually one spiritual truth. Like I said, the challenge is that without an explanation, it's hard to determine what its meaning is. It, if left to interpret it for ourselves, it could really just mean anything at all. It's pretty relative. So imagine just for a moment. Imagine for a moment you're, you're in this crowd. There's a sea of people. They're all just pushing up on Jesus. They're crowding Jesus. And so he, what he has to do is he has to get in a boat, and he has to push out a little bit, and he begins to address, he begins to address the crowd, and he says, a sower went to sow a seed. Some fell on hard ground and never germinated. Others fell on some rocky soil, and it grew up a little, but it withered, and eventually, because, you know, no moisture. And some fell on thorns. Eh, those got choked out. And some on good soil, and it produced a crop a hundred times as great. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Off the boat he goes. I mean, I don't know if he got off the boat or not here, but that's all you get. You get a farming story. People at that time, they would have understood a farming story. They, they get the idea of farming. They, under, they get the idea of seeds and germination and that, you know, you, don't, you just throw some seed out. You don't always know where it's going to land. But, you know, if you throw enough out, you get a crop. I get it. I get it, Jesus. I understand farming, but... I'm sure they had no idea why Jesus was telling them a farming story. They must have been thinking, like, what does this have to do with me? What does it have to do with me? What does this have to do with, with Rome? I thought we were taking over Rome, Jesus. Aren't you supposed to be the Messiah? I just want my back to feel better. I just want my knee to feel better. I just want bread. I, I thought you could make bread out of five loaves. Like, what is going on? I, are you... Why are you telling farming stories? Are you losing your mind, Jesus? But in the infinite wisdom of God, in the infinite wisdom of God, Jesus knows the heart of every single person coming to him. Think about it. Thousands and thousands of people. He knows the heart of every single one of them. He knows his audience. He knows what they actually seek. He knows what they really seek. And so what he does is he tells them a parable. And they have no idea. They're clueless. They have no idea that he is talking about them. He's talking about them. Many have called this parable a parable of the sower, where the focus is on the sower. But it's really, it's really a parable of the soils. It's a parable of the soils. Here... Jesus sees a large crowd, and he decides to tell them in, in story form what all kinds of soils are coming to him, what all kinds of soils are coming to him. And so this, this parable is really about different hearts. It's about different kinds of hearts and how they hear, how they hear, how they receive the word of God, namely the gospel. So here's my main point. Here's the main point for both this week and next is this, is that the heart that hears, the heart that hears is a heart that treasures the true treasure. 
A heart that hears is the heart that treasures the true treasure, but a deaf heart loves fool's gold. The, a deaf heart loves fool's gold. So Sunday after Sunday, whether it's Brian or James or Tom or one of the elders, anyone from the preach team that is up here, I'm hoping that you're getting the sense that as we go through this, the text and go through the scriptures and we're kind of revealing more and more about who Jesus is, that you're seeing that Jesus is about the heart. He's all about the heart. And so the question is, is what is, what is the heart? You ever ask yourself that? We read it a lot and probably use a bajillion times throughout scripture and we ever just, just kind of gloss over it and say, yeah, the heart, I kind of get it. But what is it? And what does God's word, what does his word say about it? So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to start just by saying that the heart, when you think about the heart, the heart is the innermost part. It's the innermost part of a human being. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, the same Hebrew word would be translated either heart or soul. Heart or soul, often. So you can almost think of it as the soul of a person. The heart is, is the piece of the human puzzle that it's where desires are made. It's where affections reside, and it's, it's out of these desires, actions are born. It's out of these affections and wants and cravings and desires of the innermost being that move all people into whatever action they take. Always. It is consistent and it's been like that since for almost all of human history if not all of human history this is how the humans have worked now jesus he refers to these desires or these these affections or longings he refers to them in matthew 5 and you may remember from a few weeks ago luke 6 and he refers to them in john 6 as thirst thirst or hungers where we get the idea of cravings from. And he says in Matthew 5, he said, Blessed are those who hunger, who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so my sub-point is this. Is the, problem, the problem with the first three soils is not the seed. The problem is not the seed. It is, the, it is not the seed that is undesirable, but it is the human condition. It's the human condition that has a heart of deceitful thirst. Deceitful thirst. There, there is something desperately wrong with our hearts. There's something really wrong with the way we thirst and what we thirst for. The problem isn't that we thirst. It's what we thirst for. The reality is the natural man does not thirst for righteousness. The natural man does not thirst for holiness or right standing with God. We could care less about God. The natural man hates God, but we do have all kinds of thirst. We have all kinds of thirst. And here's, here's what these thirsts or these desires tell us. Listen to this. You may recognize this voice. Just quench this thirst. Just quench this thirst, this desire, and you will be satisfied. It's a lie. 
It's a lie, and it comes from your very own heart. And you believe it. And when you believe it, what happens is you begin to kind of find yourself just kind of hopping around from one passion to another, one job to another, one wife or husband to another, one church to another, one car to another, one house to another, one hobby or project to another. You, you get what I'm saying? You hearing what I'm saying? You keep, you keep seeking and seeking and seeking, and you're leaving a wake of hurt behind you. You're leaving a wake of hurt behind you, and you're destroying your marriage because you just want something so bad. You're neglecting your children because you just have to get that next promotion or whatever. And you're constantly frustrated or grumpy or depressed, saying, if I just had blank, then I'd be satisfied. It's a lie. It's a lie. And what's worse is that when you get what your heart always wanted, you still aren't satisfied. You're left wanting more and more and more and more and more. This is the heart of man. This is the heart of humans. And the Bible has a lot to say about the human heart. It's not very uplifting. It's not very encouraging. It's, it's referred to as evil. You ever thought about your heart as evil? Sexually immoral? Murderous even? Adulterous? It refers to the heart as evil from its youth. It's not a learned thing. It's a born thing. Turn with me. Turn with me to Jeremiah 17.9, or just flip your hand out over. Jeremiah 17.9. This is what God's word says about the human heart. <clears throat> it says the heart, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things. It's deceitful above all things. Nothing more deceitful and desperately sick, who can understand it? Your innermost being, your soul, your desires, they're tricking you. They're deceiving you. Your natural desires are sick, and when you believe them, what happens is you're blinding your eyes to the truth, and you're deafening your ears to the truth. Because you treasure what you treasure too much. You won't see truth. You won't hear truth. You don't, I don't want it. I don't want it. But here's the truth. For those who want the truth, here's the truth. You need living water. You need living water that will actually succeed in quenching your thirst. Jeremiah 2, 3. Flip back a few chapters. I'm sorry, 2.13. Flip back a few chapters to 2.13. Here's what God says. This is what God says. He says, my, for my people, they have committed two evils. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have carved out or hewn out for themselves cisterns. They're broken cisterns that do not hold water. 
God is living water. And the natural heart of man does not thirst for God, but rather the natural heart of man makes a dark exchange. We make a very dark exchange of this living water that would promise to quench your thirst. And we make an exchange for cistern after cistern after cistern that will not satisfy. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Am I alone in that? John Piper puts it this way. He says, your heart, your heart is a thirst factory. He says, all you do is thirst. You wake up with thirst. You go to bed with thirst. You thirst for a thousand things all day long. And Jesus says, I'm the kind of Savior. I'm the kind of Savior that if you would drink here, your thirst would be satisfied. All of them. Forever. Can you imagine that? Pure and utter contentment. Forever. This is the promise. John 6.35. You don't have to turn there. It's on the back of your page. It says, then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Is Jesus saying that he's going to take away your desires? Is he saying that desires are bad and if you come to me, you won't have them anymore? No. Desires are good. You are made to desire. You are made to thirst. You are made to worship. That is the essence of worship is to thirst and hunger and crave for something. He's saying that if you would come to him and thirst for him and worship at his feet, for he is worthy of your worship, you would be satisfied. And so we see here that coming to Jesus and believing in Jesus are the same. It says, come, don't be hungry, and believe, and don't be thirsty. So coming and believing are the same, meaning you can't really believe in Jesus without coming to him. You can't believe in Jesus with an arm's distance. You must come to him if you truly believe that he will quench your thirst. You must come to him. The question is, is come to him as what? This is, what, this is the question of the hour because all these people, thousands upon thousands of people are coming to him. Coming to him as what? Or another way of putting it is coming, coming to Christ for what? For what? What thirst do you hope that he will satisfy? The heart that recognizes the depravity of your sin, the weight of your sin, your desperate need for forgiveness, that heart that feels that weight and is seeking forgiveness and is seeking peace with God, this is a heart that thirsts or craves or desires righteousness. That heart will be satisfied. In Christ. Because you will have his righteousness. You have his righteousness given to you. It's offered to you. He purchased for you with his blood his righteousness. So that you can have reconciliation or peace. That's what we want is peace. But with God. And absolute and total forgiveness of your sins. In Christ 
In his death and resurrection, God looks at those who believe as not guilty. Not guilty, justified, cleansed, pure, righteous, because your faith is in Christ, to which the soul that thirsts for these things will say, ah, satisfied. I have God. I have forgiveness of sin. I have a life of meaning and purpose. I have a God who is for me and not against me. I have a God who promises to help me to, and to never leave me or nor forsake me and help me live a purposeful life of glorifying him. And I have a God who promises me an eternal hope of life with him forever. What more do I need? Nothing. If you have that, you are free. And in that, your soul can be satisfied. This is the secret of, of contentment. This is what Paul talked about, Philippians 4.13. This is the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content in all situations through the love of Christ who is for me. But, but if you come to Christ with a heart that thirsts for the world, if you come to a heart... Come to Christ with a heart that thirsts for the world. Your ears will be deaf. Your heart will be hard. And you will not hear him. You will not receive the words he has for you to hear. You will not receive him for who he is. Instead, you will have come to Jesus. You will come to a Jesus you have made up in your head. You have manufactured a Jesus or a God in your head. And that Jesus cannot satisfy you nor can he save you. When you come to Jesus, when you come to Jesus, you come to him as bread. You come to him as water because he is your creator. You belong to him. You belong to him. You come to him as king. You come to him as God, savior, wrath remover, sin forgiver, soul satisfier, thirst remover, and ultimately fruit producer. So again, again, this is why Jesus gave a story about farming. This is why he gave a story about farming, a story that would describe the kinds of hearts, the kinds of thirsts, the kinds of desires that were coming to him. But it was obscure and it required an explanation. To which, at the end of verse 8, he says, He who has ears to hear, come in here. He gives an invite. He gives an invite. And in other words, Jesus is calling out all of you who have real desires for, for righteousness. You have real desires to hear the words of the King of Kings. If you really desire to hear, come and listen to what I am going to say. Now notice who comes. Not everyone, a few, a remnant. Verse 9, he says his disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. So remember, disciples can mean 70 people, 100 people, I don't know, but a large group, not just the twelve. 
His disciples began questioning all those who truly received him what this parable meant. Meaning, they didn't get it either. To them, it was just a farming story, but they were curious. They desired to know. It had to be explained to be understood, but the, but the heart that is desperate to know, it always seeks. The heart that is desperate to understand always seeks. And the heart that sees Jesus as infinitely valuable, well, that heart desires to hear him and come to him for the answers. In contrast, the hearts in the crowd, the rest of the people that treasured the world, they had these, these deceitful thirsts, the unbelieving hearts, the hearts that do not come to him for truth, but to have their fleshly desires met, they don't go to Jesus. They will probably look from within for the meaning. They'll probably say, wow, that was interesting. This is what it means to me. And they'll be deceiving themselves because they'll be consulting their own deceitful heart for the answers. Or if they absolutely hate what he's saying, they'll just reject the gospel outright. Either way, they do the same thing. And Jesus says, though, all who seek, find. All who seek, find. All who knock, it is open. The hard, stony, and thorny heart, though, will never seek after God. They will never seek after God. In fact, in the book of John, it tells us that they will flee because they hate the light. But they love, treasure the darkness. But the heart that treasures truth seeks truth. The heart that treasures truth comes to Christ, who is the truth. That heart, that heart, even if it doesn't hear what it likes to hear, will say, where else will I go? You have the words of eternal life, Jesus. This was the words of the apostles in John 6. He, he said something pretty crazy, and people started leaving. And he said, you going to leave me too? And they said, where are we going to go? Where shall we go? We treasure the words of eternal life. We're with you, no matter what. And now, verse 10, Jesus' answer is truly profound. His answer is very and truly profound. And what he is doing is he's putting on display, he's putting on glorious display God's sovereign election. God's sovereign election, saying that Jesus has full sovereignty and authority to grant or give ears to hear and hearts that desire to understand, and it's his prerogative. In fact, with this parable, Jesus is proclaiming truth publicly, but he's, you see that he explains it to an inner circle of select people. An inner circle of just a few select people. Read verse 10 with me. It says, as he said, to you, to you has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest they are told in parables, so that while seeing they may not see. And while hearing, they may not understand. Point number two. The parable is a revelation. It is a revelation for those who have been granted soft hearts and open ears. And, and it is for judgment on the deaf and hard of heart. 
This parable that needs to be explained to be understood is explained by Jesus to only a few select people who have been granted to know. Granted to know. So hidden from others, explained to a few. This word granted, it means gift. Typically in, con- in the context it's using, it means gift from above. In fact, the ESV puts it as given. So it's, it's been given to you freely. It's a gift, this, this gift of knowing. And so this, this gift of knowing, though, you'll notice it's, it's not based on them. It has nothing to do with these disciples. It's not something they earned. It's not based on merit of the disciples or their personal piety or, or knowledge. No, they too were once heart of heart. They too were once just like everyone else. This gift is based purely on Jesus' sovereign choosing. His sovereign choosing, his sovereign grace bestowed on them. He gave them a new heart. He gave them a new heart that desires. He gave them new affections that would be changed, treasures changed, and they would long to know the word of God. And they would come to him for the answers. Because and only because of God's work on them, they longed for and treasured words of eternal life. These disciples saw Christ for who he was, and they treasured every word from his mouth. Is that you this morning? Do you see who he is and cling to his words this morning? Jesus is telling them in verse 10, he's saying, he's saying that this kind of seeing, this kind of hearing, it's a gift. You don't, can't earn it. It's a gift. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I changed your heart. I gave you eyes to see. Can't take credit for that. And so if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning, your heart has been changed, and your heart has been changed, and if your desires have been changed, if your heart rejoices in the forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God, you're like, I have that, and I rejoice in that, and I have life of obedience that I've been called to, of joyful obedience, and you rejoice in that, know this. It's not because of your personal piety. It's not because of your personality, your intellect, or anything in you. Your heart was dead. My heart was dead. It was filled only with false treasure and fool's gold. We chased only after the wind. We had deceitful thirst and selfish desires until God pursued you. He chased after you. He touched you. He changed you. And he gave you a new heart to treasure him. He gave you ears to hear his words unto salvation. He chose you. Do you believe that? God of all creation looked upon you and said, I want that person in my family. And for his own glory and for reasons known only to him, he rescued you. It's beautiful. Touching, it's amazing, it's a life worthy of worship in that truth. Oh, that we would marvel and worship because of this amazing and undeserved gift of faith. 
And so with one short story, Jesus divides the crowds into the hearers and the not hearers. He divides the crowds into the hearers and the not hearers. And to the hearers, it is given to them and them alone to know and understand this parable, but to the rest in parables. Why? So that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not hear. Sounds weird, doesn't it? Well, this is judgment talk. This is judgment talk. Like that of Romans 1. This is a handing over of a people to their deafness, to their blindness. This is a handing over to their hard, stony, thorny hearts. You may notice that in your Bibles, the font changes when he says that. Maybe it's in all caps or italics or something like that. And that indicates that Jesus is quoting a passage of Old Testament scriptures. He's not just saying this just to say it. He's actually quoting Isaiah 6, which is one of the most powerful passages in all of scripture. In it, Isaiah has a vision. He has a vision. He sees Christ on the throne, and he sees so much glory that he falls at his feet and says that I'm a man of unclean lips. And then later in verse 8, it says this. It says, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And then I said, here I am, send me. Here's what God told him to say. Go and tell this people, keep on listening, but do not understand. Keep on looking, but do not gain knowledge. In fact, Isaiah, I want you to tell them this. I want you to tell them things that will say this. Make the hearts of this people insensitive. Make their ears dull. Make their eyes blind so that they will not see with their eyes. They will not hear with their ears. They will not understand with their hearts. And they will not return and be healed. Whoa. Okay, God. Later, later in this very same book, chapter 29... He says this, the entire vision will be to you, being the false prophets at the time, will be to you like the words of a sealed book. So there'll be a vision, it'll be sealed, which when they give it to the one who is literate saying, please read this, he will say, I cannot read it, for it is sealed. Then they will give the book to one who is illiterate, and they'll say, please read this, and he'll say, I, he'll say, I cannot read the difference between the illiterate person and the literate prophet is zero because God has sealed it. Then the Lord said this. He's doing this for a reason. He says, because this people, they draw near to me. They draw near to me with their words. They honor me with their lips service, but their hearts, they remove their hearts far from me. This passage in Isaiah is a judgment passage on Israel who had Babylon coming for them. They had, they had heard and seen the mercy and grace of God over and over and over, and they continued to just give him lip service and ritual, but their hearts were far from him. So God is judging them. And when Jesus quotes this passage, he's saying the same thing. He's letting his disciples know that he is speaking in parables as a judgment He's speaking in parables as a judgment on those who are hard of heart, who are stony of heart, 
who are thorny of heart, so that, so that they will remain blind and deaf by their false treasures. Remember, they are blinded and they are hardened by their own desires and their own thirst. They are culpable. It's their own desires. This is not a handicap. This is not like poor blind person can't see. This is they are willfully blind because they love their treasure too much. This is an evil and willful blinding or covering of the ears as they love and have their earthly treasures, and they, which to them makes it look God unattractive to them. They hear the word of God, and they say, no, thank you. I don't want it. I want mm, this, whatever it is. And so Jesus is looking at these thousands of people, and he's handing them over to the lust of their hearts, and he's not allowing them to see or hear or understand. He's handing them over. Jesus is also letting his disciples know that the only heart that is able to produce anything for the kingdom or even be in the kingdom is one of an honest and good heart. We'll speak on more on that next week. Now, you might be saying, Matt, Matt, come on, man. Does God really give people over to their sin? Does God really harden people's hearts? If so, I mean, how is that fair? It's not fair. You don't want fair. You don't want fair. Fair is letting you run and continue to run and run and run all the way into your death until his judgment rests on you in the final days. You want fair? You want justice? You deserve God's wrath, and so do I. God bestows mercy on whom he owes mercy, and he bestows his wrath on whom he bestows his wrath, and no one can look at him and say, what have you done? No one. And if you want to understand more about that, come on Wednesday, 6 p.m. We'll discuss it in more detail, right, James? Ready? And some homework. Some homework, we'll read, read Romans 1, how God hands people over. Read Romans 8. Read Romans 9 through 11. Get to, you, get to know some of those passages before you come. Or to better understand the, the question, the, the answer to the question is, how does God work in the sovereignty of the salvation of man, hardening of hearts? Some homework for you. All right, some implications real quick. Be careful what you treasure. Be careful what you treasure. We should be continuously asking God to search our hearts. Do you pray for that? Do you pray, God, search my heart? Reveal to us the idols and false treasures of my heart so that I might hear you and receive your word that will bear fruit in me. Is that a prayer of yours? Oh, be careful what you treasure be deafening you, hardening you. If you're here today, if you're here today and you believe that this whole God thing is boring, what's this guy talking about? 
Or if you believe that maybe you're, you're a good person, you're a good person, and I, don't, I don't know if I really need forgiveness, or, you know, God knows my heart, and after today, you still think that's good? Maybe you think God will just accept me for me. Or maybe you came to Christ because you wanted all his gifts and, nothing, and wanted nothing to do with the giver. You want out of hell. You want a nice place to live when you die. You want a nice life on earth, and your only hope is that Jesus will give you that. But it makes no difference in your life. No difference in your life. No desire for him. No love for Christ. No fruit in your life. No desire for true relationship with God. My message for you today is that your heart is deceiving you. Your heart is deceiving you. You thirst not for God, not for righteousness, but something else. Something is robbing you of a fountain of living water that's offered to you, and you're satisfied with mud pies. Tinkering around with little things that will never satisfy you. Your heart is deceiving you. Our call on you today, our call for you today is to repent. Turn away from these idols and these false treasures and these fool's gold. Turn away from them and turn to Christ. In fact, call on God today to change your heart. Call on him today to change your heart. You need to know and you need to see. You need to hear that you are separated from God by your sin. And Jesus offers you his life in exchange for yours. Turn to Christ. Be reconciled back to God and live. Live the life that you were created to live for him and him alone. And if you have questions, if you have questions, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. We would love nothing more than just to help you and pray with you. There'll be time for that after this. Would you join me and close in prayer, please? Father, you are good and merciful and gracious. Lord, we have, we have sinned against you, but you have shown us kindness. We have exchanged you for things that will not satisfy, and yet, God, you have shown us mercy. We thank you, Lord, for the mercy you have given us in Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for our justification that is found in these things. We thank you for pursuing us and reconciling us back to yourself. Thank you for giving us purpose and meaning in this life. There's nothing more meaningful than bringing you glory pray, God, that today we would leave here self-included, changed by this text. In Jesus' name, amen.